0: It looks like we're ready to go, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm thrilled to be hosting uh, the Atlas Society Scholars Stephen Hicks and founder David Kelly. And then we've also got uh, attorney and movie producer Harmon Caslow. Uh, who, along with our own trustee John Aguiloro, co-produced the Atlas Shrugged movies. Uh, We also have Scott DiSapio. He's going to be answering some questions as well. He may have some as well and uh, questions once we do this opening. And we're going to try to, you know, pretty uh, loose, allowing uh, David and Harmon to recount some of what, uh, you know, they went through on the movie. And uh, during the course of things, uh, you know, we want to update the uh, upcoming series, but uh, Harman, maybe you could start by giving us a little of your origin story and how you originally came to be involved in the movie project.
1: Well, sounds good. Uh, before I get started, I do want everyone to know uh, Scott has played a big role uh, in in the movies as one of our associate producers, and then in the... Uh, upcoming potential mini-series with Daily Wire will be one of the executive producers. So uh, we we lean on him a lot, and I encourage Scott to uh, chime in. Um, As as far as responding to to your question, uh, man, it was uh, more than 10 years ago. Time has flown by. Uh, John and I are introduced by mutual friends. And you know, John's interest at that point in time was to not let his rights in Atlas Shrugged lapse, and so we sought out somebody to help him, you know, produce at least one movie. And it led to the production of a trilogy of movies uh, based on the novel Atlas Shrugged. Included in John's uh, rights was to do a remake. So once he was done with the the trilogy over the past six seven years, a number of parties have uh, approached John about doing a remake, and uh, I, I think that we found a actually a, a, a good partner in Daily Wire uh, to step in and take on that challenge. They're they're going to be responsible for the production of the movie, the financing of the movie. We actually have a relatively uh, limited role in it. And as we get into it, I'll I'll go through in more details, uh, more detail about what that role will be. Um, Also, just so that I'm sure a lot of people here know about Scott, but. I'm going to put Scott on the spot and have him give just a quick overview on sort of how he's come to be such an important and essential part not only of of what we were doing with the movies but also what we did through Atlas distribution in exploiting the movies. So Scott, the right bottom button is the microphone
0: where you can unmute. <laughs> There we go.
2: Hello. Hello. Hello, hello. We hear you. Your turn. All right, hold on just a minute. I'm I'm in my truck, actually. All right, I'm sorry. I think I'm good. Can you hear
3: me? Yeah. We can, yeah. And Uh, everyone should know that Scott is a Texas boy.
2: Yes, (laughs) yes, I am.
3: So it's a pickup truck.
1: (laughs) So.
2: (laughs) So, what was the question? I'm sorry, I was trying to get myself situated.
1: Oh no, I was just saying, Scott, it'd be great for people to just have a quick um, overview of of how you came to be so important and intimately involved in what we've done at Atlas in connection with the movies and the marketing and and those sorts of things, so that uh, people understand why you have been uh, appointed to be one of the executive producers of this upcoming Daily Wire production.
2: Oh boy. Um, so uh, it all started way back when, I'll try and keep a long story really, really, really short. Um, I, was, uh, uh, I was living in Florida at the time and I uh, was a huge fan of Atlas, of course. i had read it in my twenties and I had went to build um, a business with Atlas shrugged under one arm and Fountainhead under the other arm my my philosophical foundation was set uh, in my early 20s uh, and with the help of Ayn's guidance and those two books uh, I I went on to to build a multi-million dollar software company that I later on sold and after I sold that company um a couple of years I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do next and I found out that Atlas was being made into a movie and I said to myself these guys need to know that I exist because I thought who I was because I had just gone through life with Atlas shrugged, as I said, under one arm and fountainhead under the other. And, uh, and I set out on a mission to get them to know that I existed. I wrote emails. I did everything that I could to get their attention. And, uh, and, uh, one day, uh, They put up a post on Facebook saying, hey, we need somebody that knows how to build apps, mobile apps. And um, I actually had just finished building a couple for the iPhone, and I got a couple of design awards from Apple. So I thought, I got this. This is in the bag. Here's my opportunity. And uh, I answered the post, and I said, guys, it's me. I'm here, award-winning software developer. I'm your guy. And nobody, nobody responded. The Atlas team did not respond, but that did not sit well with me, so I continued to annoy them for weeks until finally I decided I'm just going to build them an app, and I built them an app, and I said to to them, I said, here's your app, and the phone rang the next day, and it was the screenwriter, uh, Brian O'Toole, and he said to me, I guess we work together now, and I said, you're damn right, we work together now, and and it was a marriage made in heaven, and we've been together now for 13 years, and uh, my love for... Ayn and and, uh, Atlas and all of Ayn's work um, has really guided me uh, throughout my life. And um, it was an honor then and it's an honor now to uh, be a part of the project. Uh, The movies were, the making of the movies um, was really intense and um, uh, we don't expect the making of the the television series, excuse me, to be any less intense, Um, but what we've done this time around, and I'm excited for Harmon to share it with you. What we've done this time around is a little bit different uh, in that we have made it our number one priority. And I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead here, Harmon. I just wanna say this. Um, We have made it our number one priority. When we started this conversation with The Daily Wire, we made it our number one priority to protect the integrity of the book at all costs to the point that there are things built into the contract. There are safety nets in the contract to ensure a uh, solid adaptation that stays true to Ein's vision. And Harmon's going to explain more about that. Uh, but back to the original question, that's essentially uh, how I got my foot in the door, kicked it through the door, um, and uh, have not left. I have not left. And, uh, and I, I have no plans on leaving. So uh, in any event, uh, that's that. So back to you.
3: All right. Uh, Can I just jump in? Uh, We've got a lot to talk about here, but I just want to give a little more of the background. Um, Johnny Galoro, you know, signed an option, a 30 year option in early 1990 or shortly thereafter, and it was expiring toward 2010. And after many efforts uh, that some of which I was involved in with. uh, to try to get a major production house, major studio to take on some, some, you know, promising ideas. They all came to nothing. So in the spring of that year, 2010, John went out to Hollywood, met Harmon, hired uh, Brian O'Toole, developed a script, hired a cast, and found the first locations for filming. And you know, it met the deadline to have the, the, um, the, the first movie in principal production, which means filming. Within, I would say, I think by memory it was about three months. I mean, this is a story that is, in my mind, the equal of Dagny Taggart building the, uh, the Rio Norte, the John Galt line in nine months. Um, it's amazing. And Harman, you know, I, Harman and Scott, I think we're both involved in that and uh it's so exciting to um that he made the deadline and now you know granted there were some problems with the movies, Scott and I were partners in crime in um on, <laughs> with some of the trying to get the, some of the script change that was uh like was fingernails on a blackboard. But um <laughs> Anyway, you know, I'm I'm really eager to hear uh, more about the uh, well, both more about the um, uh, the day of the wire project, which is you know our main topic today. But I also, um, if you want to fill us in a little bit, what you've been doing since 2014, when the end of the trilogy occurred, you know, it's nine years later, but you've been maintaining and kept the org organization going and you're doing some very inventive stuff so i'll just put that question on the table and then let's go to the uh, daily wire project
1: well sounds good so you know scott and his team built some fabulous software and applications for us to do really a lot of things uh what was important to us was uh taking advantage of the data that's available, so we would make uh, good decisions with respect to booking the movie into theaters, so on and so forth. And we decided when we were done with the project to enterprise those applications, license them out. And since then we have, uh, and, and really more recently, we've released more than 40 movies theatrically. We have a really high quality team of, People to put movies in theaters. Uh, we, we do it for other distributors. We do it for other producers, and we built a nice business there. And we built some really, um, you know, uh, important complementary tools that allow us to, you know, do online movie testing, do provide online, you know, movie viewing. Uh, websites, all sorts of things. And it built really a a very solid company providing distribution services, uh, which is actually one of the things that may come into play should uh, Daily Wire proceed produce the movie. We would then have an opportunity to um, do the theatrical release of that movie because the Daily Wire is uh, right now solely an online streaming platform. So we've been nice and busy working on other stuff. And as people have uh, approached John uh, and us about doing something, I think you know, after all of these years, we found uh, we, we were contacted by The Daily Wire. Uh, Jeremy Boring, the president there, is a very passionate fan of the book. So so much so that he named his daughter, uh, Dagny, and, uh, and and Ben Shapiro, the uh, other founder of the Daily Wire, also an incredible fan of the book. I believe you know one of those persons who dust it off every several years to uh, to give it another read. So we have two people uh, you know spearheading at Daily Wire who really have a lot of familiarity. Uh, have a lot of respect for the book, and uh, as Scott pointed out, you know, one of the things that that we actually put into the contract was uh, that they would do an accurate and faithful adaptation of the book, and and we'll get into some detail uh, through this discussion on on perhaps some of the things that, you know, we are, are or, or that are going to be done that uh, hopefully will keep us on that path and and really make those fans of the book and, and people who uh, the book has a very important role in their life pleased with the outcome
0: Great can you uh, just talk a little bit about you know obviously you were under these crazy time constraints but some of the you know even maybe, things you learned from, from these tough interactions in making the first one. And, you know, what you plan to maybe try differently this time around to the extent you, you know, have an impact.
1: Yeah, that that that's a good question, Scott. Um, you you know, essentially what, uh, what 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 error that we that 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 I made in, in the position that I was in was not making certain that people with critical responsibilities in the production uh, loved the book. That 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 would entail that they read it, it had a meaningful impact on the book, and that you know their attitude towards being involved in the production is. You know, very similar to what you heard Scott and Safia say, which is, you know, wow, this is something that I really need to be involved in. So um, wh- one of the things that we have uh, put into the Daily Wire contract is that certain critical elements, uh, we will have approval rights over. And we intend on, you know, bringing in, you know, David Kelly, and and people that that we have a lot of respect for, who have a lot of knowledge, respect, appreciation, and understanding of the material, to have a seat at the table, because if we can build a team of people who understand the book, are committed to an accurate and faithful adaptation, then I don't think we'll run into the issues that we encountered uh, trying to quickly put together a production and execute Atlas Shrugged accurately because uh, you know that, that just didn't that, that wasn't a formula that, that worked. So the good news is Daily Wire is, is you know committed to doing that and uh, having us involved, having a seat at the table. You know, one of the big things that I'd even attempted to do but was not successful uh, with part three was to put the critical elements of the movie so we're talking about the director, the uh, set designer, costume, cinematographer, you know people who really put their fingerprints on the movie um, to to just sit down for a week and let's let's go through the book let's hear about the philosophical messages let's make certain that we all understand these characters. we understand the the, the heroes, the villains, you know, who are the strikers? What's going on here? You know, just to have a much deeper conversation than simply going out and shooting a script. So one of the things that uh, we, we now have in the agreement is a requirement that the top key elements will participate in a masterclass Uh, prior to beginning the production of the movie and uh, actually in in the agreement we refer to David as as being one of the critical elements of that and our our hope there is that we get in front of you know any of the questions any of the temptation to reimagine uh, clear up any misunderstandings that, that may exist. And even though you know we require that uh, the elements have read the book, we also want to make certain that they understand its message. So Harman, um, jumping in again, uh, I
3: understand that the contract or I, I did understand that the contract gave you and John uh, approval rights over the screenwriter, um, but it sounds like you've got more in that contract um, in terms of you know, input and control.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's pretty limited. So we did. So so you are right. We do get to approve the writer, but also we have uh, a seat at the table uh, regarding the treatment and each script, as well as the selection of the director and other key creative decisions. What, what's important though to keep in mind is that ultimately, Daily Wire will be making. Those final decisions, but uh, you know, at least we will have a seat at the table, so that uh, we can do everything within our control and power to uh, present to the audience a accurate and faithful adaptation of the book. Great! That's music to my ears. <laughs> Well, I think it's music to a lot of people's ears. You know, one of the things, Scott, that you brought up was the timing. Uh, actually, David, I wish it was three months. John and I did not have a screenwriter April 15th with a start date of June 10th. And you, know, Atlas Shrugged is one of those novels that uh, a lot of studios over time had, had sort of kicked the tires on. But ultimately, yeah. for whatever reason, you know, elected to pass. And I think, David, you know, you've seen a number of screenplays, you know, written by Academy Award winning uh, screenwriters and things of those sort that still don't even, you know, I, I don't think today even match up to some of the original. Writings that uh, were commissioned, including the Sterling Siliphant script that was uh, overseen by uh, Ein herself. Um, and so, you know, what we've what we've done in this process to help Daily Wires, we put together a lot of these materials. Uh, there's a great book that uh, David you put together called Atlas Shrugged, the the novel, the films, the philosophy. Uh, which is really a primer for anyone who has an interest in trying to figure out how would you go about turning this into a movie. But I think the good news is that that Daily Wire, at least today, is very committed to doing this uh, as a faithful adaptation. I think that they recognize like we do, you know, the important legacy value that's associated with the property and the importance of getting it right. Yeah, just a, a, a
3: slight memory for uh, Carmen, from what you were saying. I remember back in, I think it was the aughts, John had uh, was working maybe with Lionsgate, I forget. Anyway, um, Randy Walls was writing a script and the first version read well but then i realized there's no strike here not, <laughs> you know atlas without the strike is like gone with the wind without the civil war what what is he thinking and you know we i think we did a lot better on the on the uh movies thanks to you john scott my minor contribution but uh Anyway, yeah, it's I'm so glad that you're working more intensely and uh, with the Daily Wire people. So, I want to, um, you know, we're getting on to the half hour point. I I want to, you know, make sure my dear colleague Stephen uh, Hicks can jump in here. And uh, I know we have Abby uh, Berenger on the call, and she's been working with you, Harmon. I know on getting someone from Daily Wire. talk at our July student conference sculpt seminar so I don't know we have a bunch of questions but let me let me let me, let, me, let me just before we get to that, let me just ask uh, is there anything else that you know would be informative about the current state of play herman uh, and or Scott
1: well I'll, I'll chime in real quickly there so it, it appears that uh, Daily Wire has identified a writer. So the next step in the process is uh, our interviewing them. And so, in addition to uh, Scott, uh, John, and me, David's also going to have a seat at that table uh, there. And and I also think you know it's it behooves us to you know just take a moment. To take advantage of the, you know, the 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 knowledge familiarity that uh, you and this audience has with the material, to also you know be, be able to get your insights into you know the things that you might want to see you know in a mini series based on it. You know we're not in a position anymore to really dictate to Daily Wire what they're gonna do. And because they're financing the movie and the nature of our collaboration, you know, they're going to be leading that charge and making those decisions. But we'll also have a seat at the table and it'd be a nice place for us to bring the observations, comments, suggestions of not only you, David, but but again, the people in this audience to that sure. table so that we can try with our, you know, as best we can, to really have something produced that we can all be proud of, that we can uh, share with our friends and enjoy watching over and over and over again, because we know just how difficult and challenging it is for anybody to take on the task of producing uh, a movie or something based on Alice Right.
3: For sure, yeah. Um. And I see Scott, unmuted. am muted.
0: Yeah, I, well, I was just going to, uh, you know, offer uh, Stephen if he had a question to uh, jump in before I uh, go on to my next. Uh... Go ahead, Stephen.
4: Yeah, a uh, ger- general question about the s- specifications so far, is there any uh, sense for how many episodes there would be, whether it would be open-ended, one, two, three seasons, that sort of thing? I guess what's on my mind is taking you know, a thousand pages of novel and trying to get a sense for how much realistically could be included.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question, Stephen. And and right now they're looking at at doing three separate, in a sense, seasons, and following in a sense the structure of the book. So part one, part two, part three on that and looking at doing somewhere between eight to 10 episodes per section. So I think at this point, uh, they're really using the book as a roadmap. I think that's what their intentions are, uh, but, but it will not be a, an open-ended uh, endeavor. I think that their mission is to uh, go from page one through page, whatever it is, 1200 and something, um, and, um, and deliver that over the course of three seasons.
0: Great. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, some of these shows get so popular they go past their original story arc. I haven't even contemplated the idea of if it's so popular, maybe it'll show them coming back to a safe civilization.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I I, 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 don't. I think the good news is that uh, that you know they, they would be straying a bit from the book, and I think right now the uh, the focus is let's let's do what we can to as faithfully as we can a- adapt the book into uh, a movie. Uh, I don't think based again on, on, on just the very preliminary conversations, there's a lot of interest in trying to reimagine things or, or guess. I think that they're, they're really happy with what Ian wrote, and I think they're even happier that they now have an opportunity to try to execute it uh, correctly and accurately. Uh, Harmon,
3: that really raises really, the question that we've ta- you and I've talked about um and that is uh the setting you know I, that was sort of set in a world of the 1950s uh heavy industry trains steel um and you know we've both seen some updates into you know high tech modern times the, the, at least the one example I'm thinking of w- did not work it, w- it just was incoherent but um so, are we going to stay with the, uh, the the world of Atlas Shrugged in that sense?
1: Well, I don't want to get too far in front of my skis here. Uh, it's it's not that's not a decision uh, that that we're going to make. So, uh, I don't I don't know the answer to that. Um, but but I can just reiterate. You know, what essentially they've told us and in fact represented to, to the estate when, when question was they're, they're, they're just looking at uh, adapting the book. I don't, I haven't heard in a conversation, uh, any interest in trying to do anything different. I think that they believe that the way that the story was, uh, was structured makes a lot of sense and, attempting to change those elements, just create enormous challenges that uh, would be avoidable by just uh, keeping it the way it was. But uh, again, th- this is not something that uh, with is within the scope of, of our decision, but just uh, relaying to you what's been told to me. Oh,
3: thank you. Um,
0: I do wanna encourage People, if you've got questions, to raise your hand. Uh, we still have some questions. I went back and watched some of the first movie to uh, prepare for this. It started, you know, September second of twenty sixteen, and uh, you know, I'm I'm just uh, so that was just an early strategic decision that you had, you and the, the screenwriter had to make. I guess.
1: Yeah. So so that's. That's a good observation um and it's something we did talk about right was do we want to put a date you know on, on the movie because uh the the understanding of the timing of the story was uh you know the day after tomorrow something in the in the near future right and once the movie was finished you know we, we realized that because we used uh you know items that exist in the 21st century, um, that it would, in a very short amount of time, the cell phones, for example, things just evolve so quickly that if, if we just said, you know, sometime in the future, in a matter of four or five years, uh, it's already gonna look dated. So I think once we made the decision to not do it in the time timeframe uh, that was set out in the book, uh, I, I think that uh, you know, we, we just we, we decided, all right, at some point in time, 15 years or now, it's really going to look like this is taking place in the, uh, you know, in the early 2000s. So uh, that, that's why we chose to put a date, but to put a date that was in the future from when the movie was originally presented to the audience.
5: Um, I know that uh, a couple of people are now um,
3: interested in speaking. Uh, Scott, you're the uh, organizer, so I'll let you. But I do want to get Abby in here um, uh, to talk a little bit about um, the daily wire option with. Uh, uh, okay, Abby, I'm just inviting you to speak.
0: She's <laughs> up. <laughs> She's I-
6: up. Well, we haven't, I know we've we've had a couple conversations with Harmon about having somebody from the Daily Wire come speak at Galt's Gulch Summit, uh, July 27th through 29th. It's the Atlas Society's first conference in over seven years, and we're super excited to bring students in, a lot of whom will be, you know, potentially being introduced to RAND and Atlas Shrugged, you know, be very early on in their uh you know intellectual endeavors there so we just we want to have the opportunity hopefully to bring uh, members of the daily wire in to speak a little bit about the mini series uh at our uh as a keynote at our address on friday night so um you know, still exploring those opportunities and you know i've uh, talked to Harmon about it so um I don't have anything concrete to say about who that might be, but we're very hopeful that we can get somebody in to to talk about it, or if not, at least host a panel on the topic, uh, since it's going to be top of mind and is a very exciting project.
1: And and if I can just jump in uh, on that. So the Daily Wire's headquarters are in Nashville uh, and and really impressive. They have their studios, uh, you know, they're they're a fast growing you know, company over there with a sizable presence. Um and and there is there is a lot of interest in bringing in uh groups who have a lot of passion and interest in uh Ayn Rand Atlas Shrugged. So I do anticipate that they will be, you know, supporting it and hopefully there's a way for uh the participants to get a little bit of the the flavor, perhaps, of what they're doing over there at, at Daily Wire, um, not only in connection with uh, Atlas Shrugged, but but maybe some of the other endeavors. But I know in our conversations, you know, with them, they know the Atlas Society exists. They know it's a great resource uh, for them uh, in, in connection with the you know Atlas Shrugged series Endeavor. So we will continue to work to do what we can to make their participation happen, as well as hopefully be meaningful for those participants. And if I could just uh,
3: jump in here, Abby, and I see Jag is with us now. Don't be shy about advertising this uh, event. There's some people on this call who might be interested in coming and attending as uh, adults or as students.
6: Yes, I can certainly. Uh, I'll post the link here in the comments um, down here at the left. I'll be able to post the link there. But yeah, the event is going to be, as I said, it's our first conference in over seven years. We're bringing in students and adults trying to curate content with David and Stephen and Richard and our other scholars. Uh, the three of them are here today to um, you know talk about you know really introduce students those who aren't familiar with rand to introduce them to rand to talk about objectivism but then also to provide an opportunity to just talk about philosophy and the importance of philosophy in one's life to meet students where they're at you know talking about the issues they face day to day on their campuses uh and just how they combat those you know ideologically and intellectually uh the kind of leftist storm that they face on their campuses so that's a priority Uh, of ours, and I know David and and all of our scholars are working really hard, Stephen, to uh, create this content, and yes, I'll definitely share links, like I said, uh, July 27th through 29th in Nashville, Tennessee, Um, it's open to, we've got tickets for students, tickets for adults, so I will share the link in the chat, and uh, yeah, anything else you want to add, David or Stephen, from your end, or JAG?
0: Great. Well. If not, we'll just uh, move on. Paul is joining the stage. Paul, I don't know if you've been on Clubhouse before, but you just click your uh, microphone button at the bottom right to unmute.
7: Okay, this is my first time on Clubhouse. So I'm glad to be here. I have a question about the number of episodes. You you mentioned eight to 10 episodes per season. Will they be shown, uh, do you envision on a Weekly basis or a daily basis? It would seem to me that would make all the difference.
1: Paul, that's 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 a good question. It's not one I'm uh, qualified uh, to answer. Um, you know, one wh- one of the things that again during the course of the the conversations and negotiations uh, between us and Daily Wire was. Um, actually ways that we can make the movies or, or series available to people. And so as, as David um, allowed me to explain earlier, you know, our company Atlas Distribution has a lot of experience on the theatrical side. We probably, if, if you follow what's happening in theaters, you're probably aware that uh, a company called Angel Studios uh, using event cinema Um, has been holding events for their chosen TV series. And essentially, I think they're putting a couple of episodes together and marketing them as available for people to come see in a theater. And um, hopefully, you know, something like that would be available. Uh, Not not that we want to take away from the opportunity to stream or watch the movie online, but... I think from where we sit, you know, if, if this is done the way we expect it to be done and, and, and something we're all very proud of, it would be a great way to do some event cinemas, show a couple of episodes, whet people's appetite, give them a real feel for how this has been executed and then allow them to share that with like-minded people in a, in a really nice setting. But um, But I don't have any specifics and again, those Those sorts of things will be daily wire um, have to be answered by the Daily wire. They are branching into this series type of programming, and in fact right now one of one of the reasons things are probably not happening um, as much as certainly we would like them to be on the Atlas side is they're producing a mini series based on King Arthur, so we'll just sort of watch and see what happens there and see what decisions uh, that, that they make. But I'm, I personally, I'm a big fan of, you know, the binge uh, watching opportunity because uh, that, that way I can decide when I've had enough and, and can turn it off versus, you know, having to uh, wait and tune in on a weekly basis
7: so my thought is that if it's on a weekly basis that gives um, the viewer more time to mull over what uh, he or she has experienced in the episode each episode and that that would mean that we should pattern the each episode to have a dramatic structure of its own so that there is a kind of uh message an idea that we want to get across that wants wanted to get across, but um, we needed time to think it over over the interviewing, intervening uh, weeks of days or weeks, and um, that structure would, be, would need to be different a little bit in terms of um, incorporating the, all the events in Atlas Shrugged into episodes.
1: Yeah, and- yeah. I think I think you actually raise a really uh, valid point on, on that front. Um, but anything relating to the programming and those things, yeah, you know, that that ultimately is is going to be a, a daily wired decision. You know, I, I just sense that you know if this turns out the way that we all hope it does, man, it takes a lot of uh, you know courage to say, well, we're not going to show you this whole thing that we've created. So, uh, but but I think you do raise a good point, and it's actually one of the things that John John Aguillo. Talks about a lot, which is, you know, let's get people to have a conversation, you know, about it, and you know, if the book is accurately adapted, that conversation is going to ensue, um, and and David can attest to this, you know, in reading you know the Randall Wallace script and other scripts that when you try to condense the property of the book. Into you know a, a something that that's much smaller and can be consumed in uh, ninety minutes or, or two hours. Boy, you sure leave a lot of valuable uh, parts of the story, of the philosophy, of the message out of that uh, production.
3: Uh, one idea in response to Paul's question, uh, Har- Harmon is. Uh, we have a ton of material, as you know, and we've shared a lot of it with it in the, uh, developed and shared a lot of it in the, in the course of the trilogy earlier. Um, but, you know, explaining episode by episode, issue by issue, you know, I did all those screen commentaries from the uh, three parts of the movie. And some of those, um, you know, we could adapt it at, as, as necessary to say, here's what you just saw and here's what it means. So anyway, that's just an offer. It's down the road, but anyway, on to- uh,
0: Stephen looked we... like he wanted to say something.
3: Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yes, thanks.
4: Uh, the, the project is in uh, exploratory stage right now uh, from the business perspective, serious exploration, but can you speak more to you know, the likely uh, business factors that will go into making a decision about whether to go ahead? you know, in part you know Atlas Society is a philosophical organization Daily Wire has a an ideological mission as well but it also has a as a has a money minded side as well so is it going to be you know as long as we can raise enough money we're going to go ahead and do this or is it uh, starting more from the business perspective that there's a certain profit outlook that needs to be there and if that can happen then the the go ahead will happen
1: some good good questions Stephen. and uh certainly um what i can tell you is, is just uh, from what i learned from conversations uh in in negotiating uh the deal with them so daily wire has raised or has available a lot of money so we're talking tens of millions of dollars uh are available to them to go produce atlas Shrugged. So, um, so number one, there's no issue with, okay, now that we have the rights, let's go see if we can raise the production budget. So, so what was represented to us is they have plenty of of resources that they have tied up and secured for uh, producing this. Um, You know, again, you know, the only thing that that I've seen is, you know, they're they're look. I think they look at uh, Atlas Shrugged for a couple of reasons uh, for the Daily Wire. Number one is, uh, again, Jeremy and Ben are are huge fans of the book, and, uh, and and I believe that that they think that a quality, faithful adaptation of the book in and of itself will be something very valuable, a valuable asset, um, and, and I think ancillary to that is, uh, if they do do a great job, you know, producing it, it gives the Daily Wire an opportunity to expand its audience. So I think that's what the uh, what their plan is. But again, I'm not in a position to to speak on on their behalf. But that's the gist of the conversations that I've had with them uh, going into the deal. Yeah, plus they have uh,
0: the extra money from Crowder now. Um, (laughs) So, uh, Connie, uh, thank you for joining us. You have a question?
8: Kind of a question, but more of a comment. I'm just going to say I'm totally stoked about this series coming up. And, of course, I'm very stoked about your your first event uh, like this in seven years. It's going to be great. And hopefully, we can contribute quite a bit to that, whether it be personnel or whatever the case may be. Um, when I think of the series coming up, I'm hoping they sort of handle it like um, for those who may have watched at the the Astronaut Wives Club. You know, I think they did a, a pretty good job in going back to the period in time when it was written and, and when it happened. Um, the one critic I see a lot about that show, however, was that um, they thought it should have been done more seriously than, you know, they, I think they tried to appeal to everyone. So I hope they don't lose it, um, lose trying to make it so entertaining that everyone w- would enjoy it. I hope they keep it to where the people that are, are really um, fans of Atlas Shrugged feel like it was covered correctly but um so i guess it was more of a comment than than anything else but um i just want to say i'm really stoked for it and i hope they get some great producers on it and i hope it's like i said in the vein of like say the astronaut wives club
1: well number one i think you know you raise uh, you raise something that we deal with on a daily basis as a distribution company. Which is um, people will bring us product, and we'll ask them, "Who's your target audience?" And if they say everyone, they're really telling us it's no one. And I think you know you hit the nail on the head, which is if the if the Daily Wire is committed to making a movie to satisfy the fans of Atlas Shrugged there then, then the whole world's going to see it. But if they forget about the fans of Atlas Shrugged and say, we want to make something, you know, more entertaining, that's going to reach a wider audience. So, so on and so forth. um, Probably not a good idea.
8: I agree. So that that's my hope. And, uh, I hope they get a great producer, like, they get stuck in where, I, where i look or someone like that to to do it due justice, but I'm incredibly stoked for it. And um, unlike some other things, I'm prepared to go into it hating it and saying the book is better. And sometimes I'm proven wrong, and I've got a good feeling about this one.
3: <laughs> good. Um, one thing that uh, Connie's um, question reminded me of is that you know, Atlas Shrugged has a has a definite style. It's a romantic novel, um, with you know a big, big story to tell and a big theme to uh, that's woven into the story. But it's not, um, you know. On the other hand, it's not like a Marvel comics thing that is just you know unbelievable. Uh, it's realistic. You It's it's why people read the book and they think. God, that, that, that could happen or, you know, back in the, uh, 2008 and so they were saying that it is happening. Um, so th- that's a really hard aesthetic, um, uh, goal to achieve. And, uh, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, what you think about that and, and, uh, how, how you think that might, that, that aesthetic aspect of it might be achieved with uh, daily wire are they on board with that
1: well i you know i i think that the 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 answer to that is in the interview of the writer yeah you know, i think that um again you know we we made a lot of unforced errors you know and, and mistakes in connection with how we executed the trilogy movies. Um, And sometimes, you know, one of the mistakes that I made was we can fix things in post. You heard that a lot. And for those of you not in the movie (laughs) business, you know, one of the beautiful things about producing a movie is editors can do incredible things with what you've shot. And so even though things are not looking perfect during the course of the production of the movie on set, uh, given the amount of money that you're burning through every minute, every hour, sometimes you, you, you compromise by saying, you know what, we'll just take care of that problem that we just saw as we were shooting, we'll take care of that in post. Okay. But if we don't start with a solid foundation in the screenplay, you're not going to be able to fix it in post. And I think that this is one of the lessons, you know, that that, that we learned. And I think, you know, this is why David and, and and Scott, we want, you know, those people who are committed to protecting the integrity of the book to be sitting at the table when we're talking to the writer to make certain that 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 you are confident and comfortable that they understand the message, the philosophical message, these themes, these characters, so on and so forth that you're talking about, because that needs to be in the screenplay because we cannot fix those yeah. things uh, in post. Thanks, thanks, Armin.
3: That's great,
4: Stephen. Um, yeah, I have a, just a follow-up question to that. Uh, you know, once the, the green light is given and the, the show goes into, uh, into production, how does the di- division of labor and balance of power uh, really work out between producers, directors, writers? Uh, you know, they've all got skin in the game uh, and there's going to be a certain amount of negotiation, but uh, how realistically does that go?
1: So so it, you know, generally speaking, um whoever is is financially responsible tends to have what we call uh final cut. Now, you know, as Steven Spielberg, he, he that person you know gets final cut. In the television world it's it's very different because you're starting with um with already a vision for the whole show. So you're not really going to allow one of the creatives, such as a writer or director, uh, take you off of the path that you're on. You know, the the, the great thing about uh, the, you know Atlas Shrugged and and what Ayn has done is she's done a great job. We've got ten chapters and three parts. I mean, the roadmap is there. Okay, <laughs> so it's just a function of staying committed to that roadmap. Uh, in connection with what we're doing with Daily Wire, those final decisions uh, are not going to be in our hands. They're going to be in the hands of Daily Wire. However, you know, what what we are hoping and aspiring for is by getting communities such as the Atlas Society to bringing in elements uh, such as David and Scott and giving them a seat at the table, we will. Keep them reminded and, and hopefully they will know that, that the fans, the people who are gonna go consume the book, um, you know, they, they want you to stay on track and uh, they, they want you to deliver the movie that uh, as close as they can to what was playing in your head as you were reading this book, you know, because it was a great movie. Otherwise people wouldn't continue to read this book. You know, it, it, it really has, uh, quite a powerful uh, impact on people so you know our our only role could be a, a kind of a minor check but ultimately those decisions steve are going to be uh, made by the daily wire people great um
0: well i want to uh bring uh brian uh have brian ask your question thanks for joining us
9: hey thanks i have i have two quick questions uh first one has there been any talk of doing any other books like uh you know either Anthem or or Fountainhead with with the Daily Wire and and then second question is uh, if that's an easy answer
1: you can jump in it is no and and for a couple reasons um we just don't control those rights I see and um and so you know th- other studios or, or or people have them and we're also uh getting to a point during some of our lifetimes uh that these are going to fall into the public domain so at that point um you know a- anybody would be able to uh, exploit them
9: yeah my, my, my second question is if i recall watching uh, an interview with with ben shapiro he talked about how he liked Atlas shrugged, but he liked uh, Ayn Rand's, I guess, uh, economics, but not necessarily, you know, her view of, of romance and relationships and all that. So I'm wondering if his personal, um, you know, let's say preferences or or likes and dislikes of the novel will yeah. find its way into the, you know, into the the, the 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 production. You know, like will will it be more primarily about the the economic, uh, you know themes that run throughout the novel and less so about the relationships, the things that he you know likes and dislikes.
1: That's that's a good question. Um obviously I cannot speak on Ben's behalf, but I can tell you that before we concluded the deal with uh Daily Wire, this concern was actually you know, raised directly by the estate uh, we did get a letter back from Jeremy boring who's the co-ceo I think Ben is uh, is no longer has an official officer capacity I, I know that he's still an owner and has a lot of influence obviously at, at daily wire but uh, they they committed in writing that they, that they had no interest in imposing um, any of their conservative Philosophies, religious beliefs, or those things, but would stay true to the book. So, um, so that's in writing on a piece of paper. So, hopefully, the answer to your question is absolutely no. Ben has no intention of doing that. But, but, but again, um, I'm only saying that based on, uh, on on the paper that we got from Daily Wire before we concluded the deal.
9: Thank you.
0: Great. I think it it says a lot that he, uh, that the Daily Wire is using Atlas Shrugged to try to attract new subscribers. And that itself is is part of the biggest part of the story. Um, I'm curious, you alluded to uh, seeing their facility in Nashville and just uh, thoughts generally about what they're building there. You know, they're trying to Uh, some people called it like a conservative Hollywood or something you know where they're just trying to get into all sorts of different entertainment venues they've got some big names in the stable I don't know if you had a chance to observe yeah
1: so 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 again my my experience there is very very limited so I've really been uh, watching what they're doing in the entertainment space so They've created a subscription model. so so they're now needing to provide content to keep those subscribers happy. So they have a lot of content that is uh, uh, on on the conservative side and and those sorts of things. But also what I've seen is you know they've released, I think now five movies uh, that are are really just, Movies that don't have any particular message, not conservative, not religious. I mean, uh, one or two of them, I think were uh, consi- I would consider them in the horror genre of that sort of thing. So uh, they're looking at doing uh, some programming for uh, family level. So I don't think that they are committed on, their, uh, on this kind of secondary content that it has to be something that speaks to the philosophical tenets of Ben or Jeremy. I, I think what they're, what they're looking to do is saying, hey, people are giving us money every month. We wanna just you know, give them things that are not necessarily things that Hollywood would deliver to them, but would be at the same uh, caliber of production quality so you know i, 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 I which is unique cuz in the sense that you know obviously they need to keep the the people who have come to them for conservative content and and this uh, religious content obviously they want to keep them in there but i don't think that they're solely committed to that that they uh they have released and are releasing things that that have no tie to either one of those so uh, while there's there's great fear that Atlas Shrugged, being under that particular umbrella, uh, may not necessarily appeal to the uh, wide fan base of people who have read and love Atlas Shrugged, I, I don't. I think that they're looking to provide content that uh, doesn't have the conservative or religious uh, messaging burned into it.
2: Great.
0: Uh, we're glad to have uh, senior scholar, Richard Salzman, join us. Richard.
10: Yeah, I just wanted to reiter- reiterate the earlier comment uh, or elaborate on the, the one about Ben Shapiro and his potential involvement in this, because there is a very disturbing passage of an interview he had with Dave Rubin when Rubin asked him specifically what he thought of Ayn Rand and objectivism. And he said, the philosophy is garbage. So, and there's about a two minute assessment, which go, which goes downhill, even from garbage. And uh, so I'm worried as I think the earlier questioner was worried uh, about his involvement and it's, it's easy to find all you have to do is Google search, Ben Shapiro, Ayn Rand garbage. So, I mean, that isn't not, that is not a subtle uh, view of the philosophy. So I'm worried. I really am excited about the project. I, I don't want to be a, Debbie Downer here, but um, that is on record, and it's in the public, and I'm worried about it.
5: Hey, this is Jag. Uh, Richard, I think that's totally fair. Um, I think it's also worth noting, and sorry, I've only been able to tune in and tune out a bit to the conversation, uh, that he is co-CEO with Jeremy Boring, um, and Boring has essentially said that there would not be a daily wire plus uh without atlas shrug that uh it was atlas shrug his his vision to bring ayn rand's seminal work quote my vision to bring ayn rand's seminal work on the creative power of economic freedom and the terrible consequences of its loss to the screen as a premium series so that's what inspired his decision to launch daily wire plus so I'm, you know, hopeful that they understand, as, as I think I tried to argue in my uh, op-ed, "Can You Love God and Ayn Rand," that there are many, uh, even, you know, religious conservatives who, for whom Shrugged is, is A is a major inspiration in their life, and um, maybe they didn't quite uh, integrate all of the. Messages uh, that she was trying to impart and certainly they wouldn't agree with um, aspects of objectivism, but I think it's it's a it's a work that has a powerful appeal um, across the spectrum so I guess we'll see. Thanks.
3: I'm, I'm going to uh, jump in on, on Richard's question. It's one that I've heard many times uh, at, since the news about this uh, project came out. And, um, you know, there's there's so many traps that people can fall into. One of them is the one that Richard mentioned. I love economic freedom. Uh, I don't know about the romantic stuff, you know. It's one of the very essential short list of essential themes in Atlas is how the mind-body dichotomy, when you get rid of it, it applies in parallel ways to sex and romance and to business. Both involve intelligence, spirituality, both involve something physical. And if you don't get both sides of that, you've missed some of the drama and some of the philosophical sheer power of the novel so you know i I'm, I'm not projecting anything and you know we'll have a shot in talking with the writer and you know i'm not worried i'm just saying that it is an issue
0: yeah and i think it's also possible that uh, a lot of uh People on the cultural right, uh, post-COVID, have maybe seen Atlas Shrugged in a new light in the face of uh, an administrative surveillance state. So, uh, you know, um, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm. Uh, this is for uh, Harmon or Scott. You know, I know that it, part of what was going on with the Atlas Shrugged movies was this pushing to a deadline, and I'm. I'm just curious uh just if if any of the old uh you know schism stuff that's been going on uh played a role and did it did it hamper production at all uh some of the old uh you know where there were people kind of chomping at the bit for the movie not to be made in time
1: well um I, I I can only tell you, you know, what what I experienced going through the process and then what happened afterwards. Okay. So when we when we went out to, for example, cast the movie, so on and so forth, there there were certain apprehensions from lead talent to be associated with it. Okay. Uh, but we also weren't in a position to go pay uh you know an a-list type actor to be in the movie so you know we, we we did obviously successfully cast the movie and what i can say is nearly all of the leads who were in the three movies have all gone on to do either television series or other big projects. So it doesn't seem like the argument that we were confronted when some people were apprehensive about working on the project, oh, how's this gonna impact me? To those that did participate, it had no impact. In fact, many of them went on to do uh, things that were incredibly lucrative for them. What we did see, however, was uh, and, and again this this was our fault in the people that that we selected that that they weren't supportive of the movie that they didn't really understand you know the 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 characters that they were playing or the philosophical message of the movie that they were acting in and so to avoid that mistake that's why in negotiating this deal with Daily Wire we've tried to put in some guardrails so we don't make that mistake. I mean, wouldn't it be fantastic for Dagny, the, the 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 woman cast to play Dagny, to be so proud and happy to do it that she becomes this phenomenal spokesman for Atlas Shrugged, and uh, and we didn't do that, and we didn't find those people, um, and and again, you know, David had mentioned it. You know, one excuse you know, was, was a time crunch, but um, Daily Wire doesn't have that today. And certainly it's one of those things that we're going to, you know, w- whatever we can do, the limited amount of approvals and, and consultation rights that we have to try to make certain that we, we get people who are just so excited because of their familiarity and passion for Atlas Shrug to be part of its production. And I think if we can uh, if we can achieve that, then the community of Atlas Shrug fans are gonna be really happy uh, with the end product. Cause not only will we have these you know, new ambassadors, but they'll also have a really deep understanding and appreciation for the words, that they're being asked to to recite and the roles that they've been cast to play. That's
0: great. It's interesting, I heard something from Gary Cooper after he saw the screening of The Fountainhead, he had a similar experience where he felt he didn't capture the character right. Um, Go ahead, David.
3: Yeah, I just, it's another question, uh, but Harmon and and Scott, um, as you know, we wrestled with this, uh, with the trilogy. Atlas Shrugged has a number of lo- relatively long speeches. Um, the money speech that Francisco gives, uh, the speech uh, Hank Reardon gives at his trial, and then the, uh, the mega speech, Galt speech. And, you know, obviously, though you can't do them all at, length, at full length in a movie. Um, so I, I remember I, I worked on all of them with screenwriters and just condensing those into a viable um, something that captured the theme and the point in the plot but not uh you know keeping the time limited uh i guess this is an issue for the screenwriter so i it may be premature to talk about it i just what if i'd be interested in any thoughts you've given to that uh at this point
1: for me (laughs) none you know that that that, you're, you're absolutely right it it it's up to it is up to the, to the screenwriter. And, and the, one, you know, the one thing that is different between what John wanted to do with his opportunity to produce a trilogy and what The Daily Wire is doing is because they are a streaming platform and in complete control of their domain, for lack of a better term, uh, they're, they're not subject to time limitations. So I think, you know, if we're able to put together the right elements, we're not going to have someone uh, barking orders at them saying, you know what, this is just too long, you know, Uh, or this needs to be 42 minutes and 40 seconds because we need commercial breaks and things of that sort. So hopefully they'll feel that they have the creative freedom to make certain that they deliver all of the moments in the book that have such important and memorable meaning to the fans of the book because they're they're under no constraints to try to do it in some limited amount of time so hopefully you know that change in dynamic david will you know give them uh some confidence knowing that uh you know th- th- they don't need to you know in a sense rewrite edit well let's get rid of this you know they should just do uh what what they feel is uh is is the best way to accurately um you know adapt those particular scenes you know into the book uh, pardon me in into the the program that they're producing
0: great um yeah uh two was my favorite one i think uh the uh opening with an airplane chase is uh actually just a very cool uh way to do it and then do a flashback um, I'm curious about you know how that came up with, and and also you know the biggest criticism is probably that the actors changed uh, throughout the movies. I guess it's just part of logistics that they ask for more for the sequel,
1: and that made it less feasible. I I, I think that the simple answer is just one of the mistakes yeah you know, that 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 we made um, you know in in the decisions that we made and that they're. There really isn't much more of an explanation than not a good idea. Not a good idea. Um, in, in connection with with um, with your observation about the beginning of part two, you know, one of one of the things that because uh, I remember when we were dealing with that particular uh, issue. Um, what do you saying? part. Yeah. So part two started with with, uh, with with the plane crash, and and the reason for that is. You know, as Dagny is going along in, in her adventure to find the inventor of the motor, all of a sudden she shows up at an airfield and whips out her credit card and then gets a plane and flies away. And uh, without a lot of context, you know, what what we wanted to do was just establish the fact that Dagny knew how to fly. She knew how to fly. So by the time in the story she shows up at the airfield and she gets into the airplane, the audience already knows she she. She knows how to fly so it was it was just trying to deal with that that issue and try to create something uh, you know a compelling first act so uh, get people into the story and then uh we, we'd wrap that up later on in the story when she is uh uh flying after um the the you know flying i forget the name of the character to to uh that that ultimately lands her in galt's gulch You know, speaking of
3: the beginnings, Harman, I can't resist remembering the uh, and asking you about the uh, beginning of part one, the train, the actual derailment. And I think I've always been amused about how you got that footage. Uh, Can you tell that story again?
1: Sure, sorry about that yeah so um, so so, in the production of movies, there is kind of your primary production group, and then they have something called a second unit, which typically is just a cameraman, a couple of producers and and uh, other people and you know we knew that we were going to be faced with building uh, the John Galt line, and so we sent out a crew. Uh, to see if they could find somewhere in America where they were replacing rail tracks. And um, this wasn't, uh, you know, this was 2010, so it's about, you know, almost a decade after, what, 9-11. And so we're still a little skittish. So here's this crew out there. They they finally found uh, in Virginia, I think it was, is this uh, group from Union Pacific. They were repairing or replacing the, the rail tracks. so here's a group in a van and they're on the side of a road and they open up the door and you know they've got a camera pointing now at this train in the middle of nowhere and of course the guy the, the engineer of the train calls whoever security and says, you know it looks like somebody is trying or about to do something to this train had no really idea what was going on. And so, uh, so they were constantly having to keep one step ahead of security. And then, uh, in one of the scenes, actually, we we uh, one of the one of the persons on the uh, the crew was very attractive uh, woman, and you know she was distracting people trying to get them out of the shot so that the hidden camera. So these are all essentially uh, footage that was generated, you know uh on public land but uh very guerrilla style so uh they they went out for 30 days they brought us back just incredible footage uh on a very low budget and then again what we were talking about earlier kind of part of the magic of of movie making happens in post-production and somehow they weave this footage to look like it was uh organically you know part of the movie so um, uh, lots lots of fun, lots of tricks. I know, David, you spent a lot of time, and Scott spent a lot of time on the set. It's very fascinating. Uh, it's a little like watching Paint dry, but uh, some of the things that we were able to do with the crew, uh, such as that, really, I think, uh, gave a nice production value to, to the movie that we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Oh, yeah, that opening,
3: uh, especially when we showed a uh, preview of it in, um I guess early 2011, um, everyone was bowled over. And just that train scene, I just, but I did, you know, I'm an ivory tower guy. I didn't know how you did that. And now that I know, it's just, it's so amazing and so funny. But anyway, that, that's a side point. Um, Scott, back to you. Uh, I, although Scott, if you would, um, if you could put up that um, a book of ours, uh, Yeah, the shrug, the novel, the films, the uh, philosophy.
0: I'll get the Amazon link back up there. I think Stephen had a question. Yeah, okay.
4: My question, I know, is uh, is, is downstream. There's not going to be a good answer to it, but everybody likes to play the casting game. Is there, (laughs) at this stage, kind of a strategic decision about whether to go with unknowns uh, to make this production kind of unique and distinctive? or to try to get A-list actors involved?
1: That's another one of these questions. Unfortunately, uh, no, I don't, I don't have the answer uh, for you on that, so, but, but there is a quasi answer. And the quasi answer is daily wires not under any um, pressure or requirement with respect to anything regarding the movie. So normally, you know, an independent company uh, such as the one John uh, had created Atlas Distribution, if we were wanted to get a major studio, for example, to distribute the movie, casting a recognizable name would be absolutely required, okay? But if you're not needing a third party to come in and support the movie from a distribution standpoint, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So um, I I think that Daily Wire's aspirations, especially given uh, the budget that we believe the movie uh, is going to cost them, uh, certainly will want to go after talent that Squarely fits the role the roles as well as you know have the acting chops to really deliver these characters the way uh, I you know depicted them in the book. So they're not going to be restricted to going after perhaps any Lister, but I do think that they are committed to getting really quality actors um, who who can authentically. Uh, uh, play these characters so that you know the, the the overall production is enhanced by those casting decisions
0: great uh yeah someone in the chat said get travolta uh we'll see how that plays out but um <laughs> We um, I'm curious, you know, just uh, another scene I really liked was the uh, Reardon Steel plant disaster and Francisco coming in to save the day. Um, I'm curious if you've had even high level conversations about what might be the you know toughest scenes to shoot, or just even from your experience with the first run, what were the toughest? You know, is the speech gonna be its own episode? Any uh, thoughts on uh, Harmon or uh, Scott is gone?
1: Yeah, so so I can address that. so So I can't speak to you know, really anything that Daily Wire is going to do, but but I can say this, and over the course of John's ownership of the rights, one of the things that has dramatically changed in the movie business, is the cost and execution of visual effects. So one of the issues, and I knew this was an issue when I met John many years ago in 2010, was you know, the, the cost, for example, of doing the Reardon Metal Bridge, okay? Because in our minds, when we're reading the book, I mean, we're, we're trying to imagine what, what does this look like? right? Uh, this miraculous metal, so it doesn't have to have the same um, engineering necessarily as, as normal metal might have going over a great expanse, so on and so forth. You know, what would this look like uh, so that when the John Galt line is going over this bridge for the first time, the audience really does sense, well, I sure hope it holds, you know, sort of thing. And, uh, you know, given now how inexpensive uh, visual effects are, it really, it's now just really up to your imagination, you know, there. So I think that hopefully, especially again, with with the uh, the sort of budget that they're talking about, the visual effects, they're, they're really going to be able to go in and capture some of those things that maybe when we were reading the book, maybe we imagined. Um, and and at ten or fifteen or twenty years ago, from a movie standpoint, would have been very expensive to execute. Those challenges essentially are gone. So things like creating uh, of the world uh, that that was back during the time when uh, I wrote the book, the nineteen fifties, and then that, you know, is actually not that expensive anymore to to execute. So the excuses that John was faced with when the studios and others were kicking the tires, which was namely, you know, the cost. I think, you know, if I remember correctly, the Lionsgate version with Angelina Jolie and potentially Brad Pitt, it was like $75 million, Okay, which today doesn't sound like very much money. But 25 years ago, a lot of money, especially for a small uh, kind of second tier studio like that. Um, and so now, you know, th- those limitations uh, essentially have gone. And in fact, you know, one of the things that we did, uh, in part two was we built our own visual effects shop, which essentially just buying a bunch of computers and getting graphic artists and because uh, we had hundreds of visual effects shots. So I think we could, you know, anticipate that in executing this production if the commitment is to do uh, as accurate to the book as possible, you know, they're gonna be able to do that, but it's gonna, there's gonna be a lot of visual effects. So it's just gonna be figuring out how do we uh, trick our eyes and braids to see an actor in, in something that's probably uh, completely virtual and digital.
0: Great. I um you know you brought up something and just as a kind of uh, last question that um you know bringing everyone into a master class and getting them into that I think that obviously good and great and you want them to have passion I did read that um you know producing the movie was uh almost somewhat of an you you knew of Rand but it was somewhat you know you hadn't really devoured the book before getting involved and I, I'm just, you know, you got it done where other people were unable to get it done. And I'm just curious if, if maybe that being an outsider at first uh, helped at all.
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. So so, there's a lot of things g- going on in that question. Um, <laughs> yes. So, so, So the first thing that I told John was, yeah, you know, at at that point, and this is in early April of of 2010. Was you, John? I've not read the book. Is I don't need you to read. I I need, I need you to make. sure We get this production going by June 10th, so I don't lose the rights. So, um, so so then I got the book Oh my God, this is you know, well, but there's no way, John, we can do all of this. So you know, the first decision was we got to just choose, you know, choose a, a a piece of this and we'll go for it. And and you know, the question was, you know, where where should it end? Um, and should it end at uh, at the Reardon Bridge, at the pardon me at the Reardon Metal Bridge, or do we take it all the way through to you know, why it's burning up his his oil fields. And uh, ultimately, of course, we decided just to do, you know, part one there. Um, I I think the issue was just time. The compression of time forced some decisions that um, impacted the end result. And, And we can just kind of leave it at that. Daily Wire, fortunately, is not under that gun today. They've got two years. They've got to start by November of 2024. Okay, what I was told recently was the track that they're on is to get the first season written by the end of the year. Open a production office at the beginning of the year, start shooting in March of 2023, the first set of episodes. So, if they give themselves that window of time, there's no excuse for them not to do a great job, uh, especially with somebody experienced, because that's going to give that writer ample time to really think through um, how to um to to create a compelling screenplay to be shot but when you compress that time there um you just start with paper cuts and you know what happens when you get too many paper cuts so um one one of the things you know that that we're pushing is don't don't make the mistake that we made and wait for the last minute now you know as david pointed out john had many, many years uh, in, in which to get this thing going and had many, many false starts by you know, prestigious studios and so on and so forth. So uh, in, in really moving forward with Daily Wire, again, some of the things that give us confidence that they're going to be able to proceed, that they're not going to have casting requirements like a studio might. Um, they've already raised the money there uh the team the base team that they have have a deep familiarity passion for the book so i think those three things um you know put them in a great position to be able to succeed if in fact they don't uh you know succumb to the temptation of reimagining something or you know imposing what they think as opposed to what Ein wrote
3: uh, Armin, can I just jump in and clarify the schedule for a minute? Um, you said that um, by November 2024, that's for the whole series to be done.
1: No, that's it. They just need to start by then. The st- uh, the so, start- so they're 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 a year ahead of schedule. They have two years of part of their option. But again, I- in my most recent conversation they believe they're gonna be able to start production in March of 2023. So, so what will happen, David is, uh, especially in the context of a series, there'll be one writer that will uh, typically come up with a, a treatment, perhaps uh, you know, a Bible, perhaps one episode uh, teleplay yeah. with an outline for the others. And then you open what's called the writing room where you'll have a number of writers anywhere from two to six or seven writers who then will be going to work based on that bible or you know in in this instance we have the book the book is essentially the bible Uh, and, and so you'll have a lot of people able to work on creating those uh teleplays as they're going through uh, the production. So, um, I don't expect them to do some of the things we did, which is, you know, I think they'll be using the same cast. So, they're going to want to keep those people working until there's a nice uh, organic break in the storytelling, which is typically between seasons um, there, yeah. and then be able to keep continuity going from uh, the first episode all the way through to the last episode. So, essentially, once they crank up that engine yeah you know, it, it, it'll take them across the
3: finish line okay so harman i just want to clarify you said uh you referred to march 23 uh that was a month ago
1: 24. Twenty-four. yeah pardon me march 24 sorry sorry okay. sorry march 24th my bad uh
3: so now that's i know been... why i
1: confused you <laughs> yeah great i
3: said whoa are we going back in time? Is, <laughs> is there a time machine here? Um, no. So March, uh, March uh, next year, a year from now, is uh, when they would expect to have a uh,
1: a script for uh, the first season. No, that should be by the end of the year. What could, if
0: everything goes right, what could we see as a possible, you know, premiere date?
1: Um okay, so yeah I'm just this is uh
0: and no we won't hold you then
1: real real guessing on this. So if they started if if they start in in March uh, and and again this goes back to an earlier question which is well how are they going to release these So you know if they're gonna just release them episode by episode as opposed to here are three episodes or here's all 10 So depending on that decision, um, six to seven months after they start, they should have the first one completed. Okay. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll start, you know, exhibiting them. It just depends on what their ultimate release strategy is. So I think we could say confidently if they, if they keep on their current schedule, there should be something for everyone to share and enjoy, uh, during 2024
0: okay, something to look um, forward to. well, um I want to thank you so much for uh, doing this for sharing your insights for uh getting the first series done as well as uh Stephen and David uh, for your questions, Richard as well for your insights uh, everyone who joined us and uh, we'll be uh hopefully uh you know a, a source to go to for updated information as this thing rolls out and you know we all uh, are rooting for it to be a big success so thank you again and uh maybe we'll have you back on as uh some of these dates get closer
1: it sounds great just just know that um you know they are we're, we're a huge fan of david's uh, obviously an incredible resource there uh and uh when we have a seat at the table we, our, our intention is to have david sitting next to us so uh at least we will have, uh, from an emeritus standpoint, uh, you know, uh, uh, Atlas, a member of the the Atlas community, uh, there uh, over, you know, watching what, what's going on and, and participating.
0: That's great. You getting it that done. Uh, thank you, set Armin. That up. So, uh, great. Well, thank you, and uh, we will uh, we will see you all uh, at our next events next week.